Hi, and welcome to The Turbulent World with me, James M. Dorsey, as your host. It took Arab and Muslim leaders 35 days of war to call an emergency meeting to discuss Israel's assault on Gaza. Their limited ability to influence developments was on public display when they finally gathered this weekend in the Saudi capital, Riyadh. So were differences that raised questions about efforts in recent years to substantially reduce regional tensions without resolving fundamental disputes and conflicts. The joint summit of the Arab League and the 57-member Organization of Islamic Cooperation, which includes all Arab states, was dominated by obligatory calls for an immediate ceasefire, unrestricted provision of humanitarian aid, the release by Hamas of 240 mostly civilian hostages, and a resolution of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, as well as condemnation of Israel's conduct of the Gaza war. Hypocritically, Syrian President Bashar al-Assad, who waged a decade-long Russian and Iranian-backed war against rebels opposed to his regime, in much the same way that Israel is attacking Gaza, attended the Riyadh summit. Arab states returned Mr. al-Assad to the Arab fold as part of their effort to reduce regional tensions and ensure that they don't spill out of control. In his address to the summit, Iranian President Ibrahim Raisi made clear that the Chinese mediated restoration earlier this year of diplomatic relations between the Islamic Republic and Saudi Arabia as part of the regional de-escalation effort had done nothing to change policies that are at the root of many regional issues. To be sure, most Islamic and Arab leaders will have taken heart from Mr. Raisi's support of an immediate ceasefire in Gaza and his expressed desire to prevent the war from expanding regionally. But that is where the size of relief may have stopped. Much of Mr. Raisi's speech emphasized what countries like Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates worry most about and highlighted fundamental policy differences. Mr. Raisi celebrated Hamas and Lebanese Shiite militia Hezbollah, non-state Iranian-backed actors viewed in Riyadh and Abu Dhabi as Iranian proxies designed to interfere in Arab domestic affairs. In addition, Saudi Arabia and the UAE, despite being shocked by the indiscriminate and relentless Israeli bombing of Gaza, do not want to see Hamas, a group they view as affiliated with the Muslim Brotherhood, survive the war. Hamas's brutal October 7 attack, in which at least 1,200 mostly civilian Israelis were wantonly slaughtered, raised the specter of other militant groups, foremost among which Yemen's Iranian-backed Houthis, learning from the Palestinians' ability to breach Israeli defenses. Moreover, Mr. Raisi was out of step with much of the Arab world by calling for a Palestinian state from the river to the sea that would replace the state of Israel, rather than a two-state resolution involving an independent Palestinian state alongside the Jewish state. Furthermore, 
Mr. Raisi put Arab and Muslim-majority states that have recognized Israel on the spot by calling on them to break off the diplomatic relations. Of the five Arab states that have formal relations with Israel, only Jordan has withdrawn its ambassador and asked Israel not to return its envoy to Amman. Mr. Raisi also called for an economic and commercial boycott of Israel. Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan, who spoke immediately before Mr. Raisi, did not include any of Iran's positions in his remarks. But Turkish steps come closest to addressing the Iranian leader's demands. Turkey has withdrawn its ambassador to Israel and earlier this week suspended energy talks with the Jewish state. Mr. Raisi had barely spoken when Beirut-based Hamas political bureau member Osama Hamdan echoed his words in an Al Jazeera interview. We are talking about actions. We don't need speeches, Mr. Hamdan said. At the same time, Mr. Hamdan echoed a broader sentiment in the Arab and Muslim world by adding, if they act, I am sure there will be a response from the United States. Any action will have impact. What Mr. Hamdan was suggesting was that by speaking out forcefully and taking some sort of action, no matter how minor, Arab and Muslim leaders could move the needle in Washington that has so far supported Israel's right to wage war against Hamas, even if US officials increasingly are critical of the human cost. That didn't prevent the differences from forcing the Arab and Muslim leaders to issue only a watered down 32 point final communique that echoed the leaders obligatory demands, but contained no suggestion of how they could be achieved. Even so, all eyes in the coming days will be on the United Nations Security Council's meeting slated to discuss yet another draft resolution initiated by Malta and the UAE. The draft is believed to be focused on the plight of children that reportedly account for half of all casualties in Gaza. Another focal point is US President Joe Biden's meeting with his Indonesian counterpart, Joko Widodo, who traveled from the Riyadh summit to Washington in advance of this week's Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Summit in San Francisco. For Arab and Muslim leaders, increasingly squeezed between mounting public anger at the Israeli assault, limited options, and a struggle to prevent Gaza from shifting the paradigm on which they have built their survival strategies, pushing the US to forcefully call a halt to Israel's indiscriminate bombing, ensuring access of humanitarian personnel and goods, and achieving a release of hostages is a sine qua non. Ironically, Israel's relentless military campaign, including the stepped-up targeting of hospitals, may achieve what Arab and Muslim leaders can't as US and European officials, amid widespread protests, increasingly take Israel publicly to task. In the latest shift, French President Emmanuel Macron told the BBC on Saturday, de facto, today, civilians are bombed, de facto. These babies, these ladies, 
these old people are bombed and killed. So there is no reason for that and no legitimacy. So we do urge Israel to stop. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed today's column and podcast. The Turbulent World with James M. Dorsey depends on the support of its readers. For the past 12 years, I have maintained free distribution as a way of maximizing impact. I am determined to keep it that way. However, to avoid putting up a paywall, I need the support of a core of voluntary paid subscribers to cover the cost of producing the column and podcast. If you believe that the column and podcast add value to your understanding and that of the broader public, please consider becoming a paid subscriber. You can do so by clicking on Substack on the subscription button at www.jamesmdorsey.substack.com and choosing one of the subscription options. Thank you. Take care and best wishes.